Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast, episode 55. And I got a special treat for you guys today. Back by popular demand is my friend Kat Del Bruno. You guys enjoyed her so much that I figured I'd have her back before she heads off to Italy on a Fulbright scholarship slash grant. I don't know what the right nomenclature is, but I know it makes her smarter than me. And that's why we have her here. So please welcome back, Kat. How are you doing today, Kat? Hi. Some of that, what you said was false, but whatever. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Oh, you're welcome, man. That was a good time talking to you. I told you it's fun. You know, it's just like two friends talking about serious things. You know, that's the best podcast to me or or, uh, you know, smart people talking about things that they care about. Honestly, I'm not saying I'm smart, but I try to get smart people on here. And my <laughs> listeners are smart and they were very impressed with you. And what one of them wrote me, Barbara, an avid listener, was very interested in, in what you're doing in, in Italy, you know, because oh. that's news to a lot of people. And I'll let you elaborate on it, but it's horror. It's horror. <laughs> it's horrifying, especially yeah. if you think about, you know, women's rights and the vulnerability of women and children in this post-pandemic era, you know, and it's something that like, we don't often focus on, we focus on the stats, you know, but right. I think it, it's good to bring light on, you know, how these sort of like imbalances are built into society. Yep. Well, the thing is, um, yeah, what you said about, you know, people become statistics, so we tend to forget these are actual people. And a lot of times when people look at domestic violence, they say it like, oh, no, no, that's their problem. It's their own personal issue. When in fact, it's a societal issue. I mean, how many times have you seen on the news where, um, you know, there has been like a murder, like even recently in New York where the cops were shot at, they came to deal with a domestic disturbance, you know? So a lot of times these these guys, you know, committing homicides, you know, not just, you know, against their significant other or their wives, it ends up killing the children, the neighbor, the police, whoever showed up, you know what I mean? So it really affects the whole society. And I think whether you know it or not, you probably have some sort of a connection to someone, to domestic violence in some way, whether it's someone going through it themselves or someone witnessing it, there's, we're, we're connected to it in more ways than you may even know. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And it, and it also, it's one of those things that crosses socioeconomic lines, right? Oh, absolutely. People, people tend to have this like idea of like who it affects. And, and that was part of the, the reason why I started my project, actually, the project called Voices started here in America um, was because I wanted to show that it can affect any age any social background, economic background, any race, you know, it's like people have this wrong idea of who is affected. And you would be surprised, again, you would be surprised to find out who it is affecting. A lot of uh, women, it happens mostly to women, yes, some men do experience it, but the statistics show it's mostly women, don't talk about what they're going through. Right. So you may not know, you may not know until or if they ever feel comfortable about telling you about what's going on. Yeah. So that's what, and now I'm going to be doing that in Italy. And there's a, another angle to this is um, the whole like, there was a whole escalation of violence and femicide during the COVID-19 lockdowns. They had like major lockdowns, you know, not like we had some lockdowns, whatever, but not like there. I mean, they had like strict lockdowns so like you know a lot of women were stuck in these houses yeah. with their abusers that's so. the, yeah that's the scariest thing because that you know that's a pressure cooker you know in an already unwell situation the isolation and pressure of the pan pandemic is like putting gasoline on the fire yeah. and it's funny you know my town i live in a you know an affluent suburb you know it's a mix but there's literally like you know there's billionaires. There's like nine billionaires in my town. And then there's normal people. I'm not saying that to brag. It's just, you know, it's a town of like hedge fund horse farm estates, you know, where people park their money. And uh, 
And there's only been like two murders in the last 20 years. And they were one was a guy who had his wife killed. That was the one famous murder in this town, you know, in this big estate. And the other was just up the road from me. And it was at the the first week or two of the lockdown of the pandemic. And it was a murder suicide of like, you know, a sextogenarian white couple. You know what I mean? This wasn't like the the cliched inner city domestic violence kind of thing, but it was the obviously those same sort of pressures. You know, you can only it's still domestic violence. It right. doesn't matter like what color they are or how rich they are. You know right. what I mean? Oh, no, exactly. And, it's and you can, domestic violence. <laughs> exactly. And you could tell it was probably, you know, brought about by some fight over the stock market recently crashing or something, you know, and the husband lost it and killed his wife and killed himself, you know. So well, happy, can I just I, yeah. can I just I'm sorry to interrupt in that in that department, but um, a lot of times it's not triggered by one event. Okay. A lot of times, I mean, it doesn't go from zero until a murder. There's always something. There's red flags along the way that show um, an abusive pattern, you know, and it has a lot to do with control. It's all about control. So they may not lay a finger, as like one of the women I I filmed, and I just I film only their mouths, keep them anonymous. She said that. Uh, her fiance came in the room and stabbed her 18 times when he had never laid a finger on her before. Okay. So she, thank God she survived. But then when she went to these, you know, people for help, she found out that all these years he had been uh, abusing her, but she didn't realize it, abusing her psychologically or whatever, you know, it's all about control. So it never does. It's never one thing that just, they go from like, you know, regular nice guy, whatever, to like murder. Right. It's not the alcohol. It's not the stock market. It's not, you know, losing your temper. It's, it's, it's been building and there's warning signs. And what I don't understand is if there are warning signs, why aren't we teaching this, especially in schools to like younger kids? Why aren't we teaching this to them so that this can be prevented instead of always having to deal with it after the fact? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's an excellent point. And why isn't mental health altogether and mental hygiene and warning signs treated? Because I'm sure a lot of the patterns in those abusers were there in them as children, right? They were probably coming from homes where they witnessed the same sort of behavior. And instead of like letting it lie dormant or not addressing it as a society and working it out in a holistic way, You know, if you taught a kid yoga or whatever at like five years old, a way to process emotions, as we said last time, you know, boys are told, you know, don't cry, suck it up, be a man. You have these festering sort of cauldrons of rage. And as you know, that inward hurt, hurt, you know, and confusion that maybe a child of an abusive home feels turns into something altogether different when that person goes up in his own domestic situations in his 20s and 30s and people repeat patterns that aren't brought to light right yeah. you know it, it and uh and it, it's you know it's it's almost like i'm glad you're doing this internationally because it's a worldwide issue i keep saying oh, on yeah. this podcast it's like we all need therapy whether you think it or not we all just went through a massive ptsd trauma and that was just like capped off with, with a war, you know, with stuff that is just like beyond the pale that we're seeing every night on the news. And, and now we have the other uncertainty and we'll get there in a minute, but like, now we're going to have COVID flare up again. Anybody who's paid attention to the signs that have been given us for the last two years, see, they're all right there in two or three weeks, we're going to be back. So, and then that's going to have its own snapback psychologically, right? Because people- I, you know, you're right. I wish we could all have therapy. You know, it should be accessible to everybody and it shouldn't be so fucking expensive. I mean, you know, I like therapy. I mean, at first I was like years ago, I was like, nah, I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm tough. I'm strong. I don't need it. But there's there's nothing wrong with it. It's great to sit there and talk out what you're feeling, what you're thinking. And, to, and you get to know yourself. I think the more you know who you are, the better the better it is all around, you know, and to, to be able to face, you know, your own issues. If you can't face your own issues, how are you going to fix your own issues? You know, and how, how are you going to become a better person if you don't do that? So every, I think everybody should, should have a therapist and it should be free. Absolutely. I I'm with you, you know, and, and it, and it helps you, it helps us all, right. Cause it makes you a more effective person. 
And we got to remove the stigma. Like nobody looks at the stigma of a sports psychologist, right? If the Patriots have a psycho, a team psychologist, you know, to help Tom Brady, you know, not clinch up when he's about to get sacked or whatever the thing is, you know, to help him perform better. That's not looked down on or on billions. Did you ever watch this show? Billions. No. They had it. It's a, it's a, pretty good it, well it's it's a mix. It's pretty male heavy which is why you probably wouldn't like billions but it, it started out well but anyway the the main character basically is this woman who's a psychologist at a hedge fund like her whole gig is breaking down these sales guys so they can just make as much money as possible so it's about removing any blocks that they might have psychologically so they can perform better you know so the underlying mm. thing is greed it's not about their well-being but maybe we could sell that to a consumerist society in that way, right? Say, right. hey, look, this is going to make a class of better workers for this co country, you know. Right. But uh, you know, we have to address it because because it's not it's not getting any better out there, you know. You're no, in, no, it, it's it, not. And I, and I think, I mean, New York City is pretty open to therapy. I mean, it's kind of like you know, New Yorkers are understand what it is and the importance, and I don't think there's any stigma around it here. Um, but mental health issues, I think, have been part of the reason why there's been an escalation in violence and like weird ass shit happening, like on the subways and like murders. And like, I've been here, what, 26 years now? And I felt the safest here in New York City. I really did. And any city I've been to, I always felt safest here in New York City until now. Yeah. Now I'm like, there's too many weird, freak like random acts of violence yeah. happening and it and, it, and it, i think it's because we don't have there's no mental health anything out right there, you know right. no i know and you can see it's people that are broken there was a there's a horrible and i and i agree with you by the way i, I lived in new york manhattan proper since 1994 and i was never scared and you know when i toured you know, are you and I, me and you and Dave would go to a gig somewhere. I'd be like, I'm more scared in Cleveland or Houston. Exactly. Than I am anywhere in New York exactly. City. You know? <laughs> but um, no offense to Cleveland, but uh, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, it's those second tier cities that were always the truly scary ones. But you can see there's just broken people walking around now and they're lashing out. There was a, a you know, a, an octogenarian vocal coach, you know, who was Diamanda Gallus's and, and Debbie Harry's a beloved vocal teacher on the Lower East Side got pushed over by a girl and they got the girl's picture. You know, she's a white lady and looks to be in her thirties or something. Not somebody who you, not that it doesn't matter what color your skin, but not somebody who looks like they're mentally ill whatever that looks like is, but you know what I mean? Like if you're down in the subway, you can look and kind of figure if someone's talking to themselves in the corner, they might be a danger, you know? Uh, my also, point, also being a female. I that's was what I'm shocked. saying. Oh, this is I like, I mean, that's not a female typical. I mean, usually it's a white male, right? right. I mean, exactly. No, it's you. Yeah, exactly. It's some crazy white guy talking to himself in the corner with a brick in his hand that you want to worry about, you know, <laughs> but this is like, this chick's got red hair. Like she looks like your dental hygienist. or something. <laughs> She looked like a regular New Yorker. And that's what's so terrifying about it. Cause she clearly is who snapped, you know? And that's the other thing that New Yorkers, I mean, thank God. Like I had this country place to go to, you know, mm. when it, when it hit, I know you guys, got rid of you guys had one too uh, uh, and got rid of it but you, i'm sure you escaped to connecticut or wherever but like my point is i would have lost it had i had to stay in my apartment during the pandemic and i was across yeah. the street from central park carnegie hill like i couldn't complain and i probably would have survived but my point is sort of being isolated in a little apartment as we discussed last time especially yeah. somebody like me who who needs 12-step kind of meetings and like group therapy and to be part of a community to feel useful because otherwise I'm going to be in my own head, you know? And, and yeah. that's when the, you know, that's when the demons, you know, sort of come. Not that I have demons in my head, folks, but <laughs> I'm using that as a metaphor. I'm saying, you know- Don't take the subway now. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's a pressure cooker though, right? It wasn't, you know, we were in such trying times and, and some people are going to break and snap. And a lot of those people don't always just turn in on themselves. You know, they, they, they act out violently in the moment. And this, 
lady pushed down another elderly lady and killed her, you know, and that's, that's horrific. So it's just awful. I mean, and and it's, I'm embarrassed, you know, that it's happening here in our city. Cause I've, I really, I, I always like almost bragged about how safe it was, you know, like I I really did. So I don't know. I know it's crazy. It's, it's a weird time in New York, you know, it's just, you know, I want to say that we we didn't really escape the city during COVID because I we were both saying how lucky we were that we have our own place you know that we were in a brownstone so we didn't have to share an elevator with anybody you know we have a backyard so um, we were kind of lucky in 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 that way absolutely no and I lived in a a townhouse there too so yeah we are lucky I was trying to avoid that for the listeners I didn't want them to know how elite we are cat's an oligarch actually (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding no I hear you no that's what I mean though I'm being in that built in those buildings you know like just being in a high rise like during that thing and taking elevators it would be crazy but uh and you know we're gonna get through it. We have tough days ahead. I think New York has a lot of soul searching to do ahead. I think, you know, the mayor of New York, to me looks like, you know, a problem waiting to happen. You know, I I don't have a good feeling that his term. He was was our borough president. Right. So, and like when we, when we first moved into this house, we were having some issues or whatever. And so, and I called him, I, I called his ask Eric line and he called me back. He wow. himself called me back on my phone. So I'm like, all right, so this guy's listening. This is good. Um, I don't know. I always felt like he would be capable of actually doing something and like connecting with people on a one-on-one level. Um, but I haven't seen that, you know, now as, as he's yeah. mayor, you know, I've actually tried to reach out to him and I've gotten zero response. Yeah. He, he's I wanted to talk to him about, you know, the, the property taxes right. being hiked during COVID. I mean, is that what you do to people? You fucking hike our property taxes during COVID when nobody's working? I know. You know, this doesn't make any sense. I hear you. He flew off. Trying to drive people out of the neighborhood. Right. Well, I'm, I'm worried that it's more about him than the city at this point, which is often what happens when someone gets into elected office. He flew off this weekend to a law enforcement convention somewhere in like Chicago or Vegas. It's like you don't have enough problems in New York right now. You need to be flying. You're not law enforcement anymore. You're the mayor, dude. You yeah. know what I mean? But, uh, you know, he gets to be speaker's fee and gets to, you know, be the big shot. And that you know, whenever somebody wants to be the big shot, but I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I know Maya Wiley and that was who I wanted, but I, I don't, I switched my registration to outside of the city anyway. So what do I know? You know, <laughs> I wish him the best, but uh, so let's get into the week stuff. You know, I think the most remarkable thing that happened this week was president Zelensky's speech at the U S Congress. You know, I mean, it was amazing that this guy is able to be like a wartime leader and so deftly navigate, navigate like senates around the world. Like he spoke yeah. in Canada, you know, to their Senate on Monday, US on Tuesday, Great Britain. Like he's making the rounds and he's not just giving the same statement every time. He's telling, right. you know, he's appealing to to each individual body politic in, in a way that, you know, is is really strategic beyond his years you know he's like a churchill kind of guy you know and it's clear in this country there's a lot of people that just don't want to hear the message joe manchin is sitting there scrolling through his ipad you know complete disrespect because manchin has to show his fealty to charles Koch. that's who pays his bills and the energy sector and manchin also just torpedoed the fed nomination the last jamie uh what's her last name her last name's escaping me the same as Raskin, Raskin, exactly. You know, imminently. That was such, but I couldn't believe when I read about that. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, really? Yeah. And speak to it as a woman, because she's already gotten Senate confirmation like two or three other times in her career. Right now. Well, this, I mean, okay. it's okay. Manchin is a problem. I mean, he yeah. has a problem. Here we are supposedly 50, 50 Democrats, Republicans, when in fact it's not, right. it's not. And, and I don't understand how he can call himself a Democrat. I just don't get he's it. Not, he's not a Democrat. You know, yeah. he, he's just playing the Democrats and the Democrats play into it because they're like, without him, it'd be a Republican anyway. Well, he but is. It is. Oh, but it I is. know. Why don't we just say it right. is? Because, exactly. You know, 
Fuck so, giving him all the power. Let's stop focusing on him on TV. Get him off the fucking TV screen, you know, and and because his voice doesn't count as a Democrat because he's not a Democrat. Let's just stop focusing on him, period. I agree. I agree because he wasted everyone's time for eight or nine yes. months. Like he kept going to the White House all summer and we're going to see what he wants. And you may not remember, but he was governor in like 2012 of, of, of West Virginia. And he tried to sue MTV when we used to do all the MTV stuff. Oh, what? Yeah, he got in a fight with them because they had a show called Buck Wild, which was the West Virginia like version of the Jersey Shore show that I know you oh, love so much. <laughs> Hey, listeners, Kat and I used to do all that kind of MTV stuff in the era of the situation, right? <laughs> and Kat, Kat is a real Italian, you know, and Italians have some of the greatest culture and art and just sophistication on this planet. And in oh, really? the New York area, Italian often means gabagool, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> mozzarella. I was in West Hampton, you know, Scotto's Pork Store. It's a great it's a great old Italian like meat deli kind of place in West in West Hampton Beach. And I was there for the Hamptons Film Festival a couple of years ago. And I'm sitting at the counter and we, we like to go and eat there because this real Italian woman takes care of us and you get caprese salads and all this delicious stuff. And a guy comes in like a Jersey, you know, Italian kind of New York Italian guy. And this woman is Italian. And he's like, yeah, let me just get a, on a hero. Let me get a gabagool. And she's like, what? He's like, gabagool. And she's like, what? The guy keeps doubling down. She's like, oh, you mean Apicola ham? That's so funny. <laughs> I know. That's but so, uh, so anyway, you know, that, you know, so so Joe Manchin is somebody who he, he, he sued the EPA at the same time he was governor. He sued the EPA because they wanted to regulate the coal industry. Of course, they should regulate the coal industry. It gives you black lung. You know, it's probably Who needs to go. I don't even know why it's even a fucking subject anymore. I mean, I mean, seriously, guys, I mean, how far back do you want to go in history here? Should we bring the horse and buggy back to now at this point? I mean, it's so stupid. I do. I do. Like send people underground and fucking dig out these black, disgusting, dirty rocks and burn them for fuel. Right. I know. It's 2022. Grow up. I hear you. You should look my live set. I have a whole thing about that because we're a country that used whale oil at one point. That was an energy source, right? We had lamps. You would use whale oil in your lamp. There's the whale oil industry, uh, you know, right. trying to well, fight the EPA now. <laughs> and that's my point. It's the same sort of thing, right? On a serious note, energy becomes outmoded, right? That sounds stupid exactly. as hell now. You're going to sail halfway around the world, kill some magnificent creature, drag it all the way back to Nantucket, cut it up, melt it, you know, when you could have just lit a fire with some wood that grows in the ground, <laughs> you know, and, and now we have solar power you can get energy out of the sun now like it's a no-brainer and and you no know brainer, exactly. it's also a good way to balance out climate change right because the atmosphere is hotter the sun burns brighter there's droughts in all these parts of the country you know right. put up solar panels everywhere or wind power you know i go to and, Nan- and, and, and everybody's complaining about our dependence on of oil on um you know foreign countries, you know, this whole Russia thing and the gas prices going up and everyone's like, we need to dig more. We need to drill more. We need to, no, this, this should be the reason now of all times for people to understand why it's important to get into solar and wind and, and, and other ways of getting energy. I mean, I agree. Yeah, no, this, look, you just hit on a kernel of of a truth that's being unaddressed right now. This is a teachable moment. This is an opportunity to say to the world, look at the insanity that comes from our reliance on oil, right? We're acquiescing to Putin, who was allowed to become the dictator that he is, because he was siphoning off so much money from their riches that they made from oil, right? and other Mm -hmm. industrialized industries there that he gave to his oligarchs. And he spread that around the world, right? So other people got a commission. You know, it made people in Italy wealthy because they could sell luxury products to the oligarchs. It made people in France wealthy because they could sell villas. It made people in New York City wealthy because they could sell them condos. And these Mm -hmm. people would park their money in hedge funds and banks based in New York, you know, or listed in the Cayman Islands, but actually working in New York, right? 
that's all generated by oil. And I don't even have to talk about the wars that we prosecuted for 20 years that had nothing to do with terrorism, right? They were all about oil. You know, Afghanistan doesn't have any oil, but it burnt a lot of oil to fight that war. So the oil industry got really rich. You know how much oil it takes to prosecute a war like that the American army uses? You know, so all of that is a way to almost launder money through the petrochemical industry, right, which has completely corrupted our politics, corrupted our countries, poisoned our lands. All of these companies like the Koch brothers, they make their money off of access to public lands, right? They can't run pipelines through their own private property. They have to put these pipelines across public federal lands. And that's why they buy politicians. And that's why a guy like Joe Manchin is in their back pocket. So if you really want to fight against this stuff and the terror and human suffering that comes from war, and I'm not even giving you the climate change numbers and what's going to happen to displaced people when they can't live in Central America anymore because the waters have risen or South Florida or you name it, pick your poison, right? You're talking about suffering on a massive scale that we could walk away from right now. Not that we could do it overnight, but we could begin the individual shift in consciousness that it's going to take. And instead, there's a lot of subterfuge, right? There's truckers driving around D.C. for no other reason than to, like, block up traffic, burning people fuel, right? You know, it's so dumb. I don't get it. It's the chaos agents, right? I know it is dumb, but it's funneled by the same stuff. It's dark money and, and people trying to manipulate basically dumbasses. You know, that think the only thing that matters is how much you pay for, uh, you know, a gallon of gas. Like, are, are you surprised at how many dumbasses there are, though? I'm a little surprised. I am. I am. But, you know, when af right after we did the Obama thing, right, when I was like, you know, I was kind of in a bubble in those years because I lived in Manhattan for 20 years at that point. I hadn't been touring a lot. And right after Obama got elected, I started doing those Jackson Brown tours and I would be out in like Indiana, you know, in Ohio and these back, not, I almost said backwoods, you know, <laughs> you know, that stuff we usually fly over. Like I had to go there on the tertiary roads, <laughs> right? So I'm in Missouri and stuff. And you know how state, you know how like backstage security always talks to you? Like, cause they're just bored. Like the guys yeah. that have to stand out in the dressing room hallway for 12 hours. Like anytime you get near them, they're just like, Hey buddy, how you, where are you from? <laughs> you know? And you know me, I'd talk to these guys and invariably I would hear the dumbest racist stuff come out of their mouth within five minutes. You know, they'd be like, yeah, that Obama guy, I don't even believe he's American. Like, and I'd be like, what? Like they really are brainwashed yeah. by this stuff in a lot of the middle States. Cause there's billboards there's church groups, there's Fox News, there's there's papers that look like they're newspapers, but they're really owned by the same conglomerates. Right. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're you just said church groups, which really infuriates me. I mean, they're they're not supposed to be involved politically at all. I mean, they have they're tax exempt. Right. So if they're not if they're going to do all that stuff, I think we should tax the churches. I mean, I think a lot of people believe that, too, but they're not supposed to be involved at all in influencing anything that has to do with politics. I know. Supposed to be, I mean, separation of church and state, right? I agree. That was supposed Stay to be the hell out of it. I know. And they're all tax free. They all rake in the money and they're all funding these bills. There's three or four states right now that have draconian abortion laws, as you well know, where now in Tennessee, they want to make it so you could sue like a woman could a girl could get raped. A 12 year old could get raped. She could have to have her attacker's baby. And if mm -hmm. she aborted that baby, her rapist family could sue that girl so for the, I mean, crazy handmaid's tale stuff, which is all backed by this religious, we're Christians. You know, this is what, G, you know, Jesus. People need to go back and look at the New Testament and read Jesus again, because their so-called Christianity looks nothing like what Jesus was all about. I know. I, mean, I don't know where they're getting these fucking ideas from really it's because nobody's asking any questions right people are raised in this stuff generation after generation yeah. they yeah. think jesus is out there like deer hunting on sunday with <laughs> Billy bob and stuff you know they don't know he's a long-haired middle eastern guy in sandals you know he's a hippie he's a hippie hanging out with like prostitutes and poor people 
You know what I mean? <laughs> like he was down. Jesus was down, you know, and like the, the teachings of Jesus are the same as, as so many other prophets, you know, and that always scares the powers that be because you have to make that stuff into some kind of way where man can still control other men and women, you know, and and for some reason, I think, you know, there's examples of that all through history, but it works really well in red state America. It works really well on the on the on the folks that like are well, why is that? I'm curious. Well, I mean, is a, it this sort of like blind faith shit? You know, they're so like not gonna, you know, like they have this blind faith, including like a lot of stuff like miracle stuff in the right. Bible. You know what I mean? They're just gonna believe what they're gonna believe because that's what they're told to believe. So maybe they're easy targets when it comes yeah. to yeah, believing other shit that's obviously so not true. I mean, hello. Right. But they, they're very easy targets. I was in a play called Holy Ghosts when I was in drama school, which was all about the snake handlers and stuff, you know, and these Southern churches were always the targets for that kind of stuff. You, you know, the snake oil salesmen, the carnivals, they all toured in the South. Right. You know, not that they didn't tour in the not that people in the north are, are smarter. It's not what I'm trying to say. I guess it sounds like that's what I'm trying to say. But, no, but I, I mean, I think I think you're there's right. something there. There's the, something there. And I think it, it is. I honestly think it is like has to do with blind faith. Yeah. And it and it's an, an absolution of the sins. Right. Like I could whip people with a with a you know, with a with a whip all week and make them work for free and keep them in chains. But then go to my church on Sunday and have the preacher tell me that I'm absolved of my sins because I love Jesus. And I put a couple bucks in the pot for the church, you know, and mm-hmm. then I don't have to question, like, why I'm torturing another human being to get this you know, food that I'm going to now say grace over at my table where yeah. other people live in but, my yard. You know what I mean? The, the other thing about that particular thing was that they were looking in, into the Old Testament and saying, well, there were slaves in the Old Testament. So, you know, we're not doing anything wrong here. <laughs> I know. It's so, it's so insane. You know, it, it's a tough question to tackle. Like, even, you know, I, I think about that stuff all day, Kat. I won't even share with the viewers how much I think about it because it's just like, like, I don't know how you could think like how you do, how people do on guns and the NRA and then consider themselves like religious people or even go to church and then go to like Kentucky fried chicken after, you know, where you're eating animals that are like being grown in factory farms where it's Mm -hmm. purely purely like obviously torturing another sentient being but you Mm -hmm. don't even think a bit about where the ham came from on your table and i'm not telling people not to eat meat i'm saying the for-profit industries right like a meat packing industry which is populated with immigrants by the way that have Mm -hmm. no rights it's one of the most dangerous jobs in the country if not the most dangerous job right and like so you're going to sit there, listen to a preacher go on an anti-immigration screed, tell you that a con man who grew up on Fifth Avenue sitting on a gold toilet who has three wives and about 10 kids, you know, you might have heard of five or six of them, but he got a lot of people pregnant. Trust me. You know, you're, you're going to think that guy, you know, is your leader and who Jesus wants to lead you. But it's a cult and, and it's it's it a is. profitable. It's profitable. They make a fortune off of these people. And now it's a lifestyle brand. Now, now it's so deeply embedded with a big chunk of the American psyche that I don't know how we ever get this country back. To be honest with you, I think- I don't, I don't either. I mean, you're right. I mean, I think the best explanation is it's a cult. I mean, that is the, the only way to like- understand what the hell is happening here and and the problem with people in a cult is it's almost impossible to get them out i know so what do we do as a fucking country what right. do we do how do you deprogram those people i mean the first way to do it is you have to cut off the source right. of, of the disinformation like Fox you don't think they'll find another an, another like leader yeah they will. And they'll find another way. And social media has a lot to do with this. I was just talking to Tanya Jennings right before I talked to you. She called me for my birthday, you know, and uh, 
you know, Tanya, she's very smart listeners. I will have Tanya on because she's a great, very successful advertising woman, African-American, you know, went to historically black colleges, just a real baller who we worked with in live television. And and Tanya and I were like partners at Talent Check-In for most of the 90s. And (laughs) do you remember that? Like Tanya and I used to sit like where you'd check in the talent. And I remember we did one show and Christina Aguilera was like hell on wheels to us at the garden. We did a show at the Paramount. So like a day later, she was on a gig. We were at at Radio City. And I was like, Tanya, man, this girl was a pain in the ass. Like, you know, so Tanya was like, good, I'm going to ask her for her ID. (laughs) So she came over and she's like, you know, she thinks we're just going to hand her the pass because we know it's obviously Christina Aguilera. And Tanya's like, can I see your ID? (laughs) Hilarious. I love it. I know. But anyway, but Tanya was saying, she goes, look, I feel like I'm back in the 70s or 80s with this amount of racism and the amount of people, you know, she was speaking specifically about Katanji Brown, you know, and, and people asking to see her LSATs. It's like, I can't, I'm, that's, oh my God, it's so infuriating. And, and the hypocrisy just fucking drives me nuts. I mean, well, it really drives me nuts. Exactly. Like, really. Me too. Trump couldn't read. He literally had to pay people to take his tests. He was a transfer student at Wharton. He transferred in from Fordham. Fordham isn't a bad school, right? It's a good school, business school. But like the dude was too stupid to even get into Wharton on his own. He had to pay somebody to take his tests, you know, whereas somebody like that, like a Katanji Brown, you know, if you see an African-American woman at that level of stuff, that means she's the best of the 1% because she had everybody else saying she was only going to get this from affirmative action because they needed a woman in the program. They needed a black person and they know that. So when you get somebody who's achieved that level, it's your dream come true. It's who you want in that position because they've already gone through more BS than country club rapist Brett Kavanaugh. You know what I mean? Who drank his way through prep school in Yale, you know, and Harvard Law or wherever he went and then just assumed he was a shoe in for the court. And when everyone even questioned him, he had a freaking meltdown and berated. That was embarrassing. That whole thing was so fucking embarrassing. What about Amy Coney Barrett? What the fuck experience does she have? What is she doing there? She doesn't belong there. I know. No one questions. Where's the Republicans questioning her fucking like LSAT? She'd never even been a judge. She was (laughs) only like a scholar. I don't think she'd ever like tried a case or done any kind of like sat, you know, in done real judging. And there's something off with her. Like, I don't want to like, you know, Stepford wifey, you mean? Yeah, there's just something bizarre. Like there's something very like I know she adopts kids. If she adopted me, I'd be like, oh, shit, <laughs> Like I got the wrong family because this bitch is crazy. <laughs> like you could just tell <laughs> sitting there, you know, um, but no, there's just something off. And, and they're, you know, they're so blatant about like now we're going to hold up, you know, Brown's like hearings and stuff. I mean, it does. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it was it Mitch McConnell who's all like, oh, I don't want to rush this. Oh, go fuck yourself. I mean, I, really? I, I, mean, I mean, do people really like just look the other way to this hypocrisy? I don't understand. They do. Right? Yeah, because they get away with it. They speak out of both sides of their mouth. They were. Oh, pro- this is look at this is my coffee cup. I know. Isn't she the best? Oh, my God. You I saw the replace her. It's so I awful. I know. My friends in the notorious RBG doc, my, my good friend's wife was her, one of her ju- uh, associates, justice, whatever the proper term is, you know, forever. And she's all over that doc. And obviously you've seen it. I mean, that's a, another great example. She's better than any of the men around her and was from the day she stepped onto Harvard's campus or wherever, you know, when you saw her early years, like clear brilliance. I can't, it's one of the themes of this podcast, but I can't stretch it enough, stress it enough. That's what you want in life. You want the people that are the best, you know, skilled and and have the most aptitude to do that particular job. And it shouldn't matter to you whether they're Mexican, African-American, Asian, male, female, gay, transgender, who cares? You want the guy who can do the job best, right? When people are buying, when people are buying weed, they're like, let me get the strongest weed, right? They're not like, let me get this strain because that's the strain that looks most like where I grew up or something. Well, that, that's, that's very interesting. And I think that's part of the problem of where we are now is that it went from 
you know, having people in our government who were supposedly smarter than us, who were, you know, who knew more, who were the experts at whatever, not just in, in government and in medicine, right? I mean, in, in everything. So what happened to, you know, believing that someone else knows better than you? You know, it's like all this, all these people who are falling for these like ridiculous conspiracies think they know better. How can you possibly fucking know better from Googling? I mean, give me a break and you're, and you're, you're listening to like a bunch of like opinions on a subject matter that's been like researched for, you know, over a hundred years talking like viruses. Right. And, and now you're going to listen to some jackass on YouTube. Right. I mean, no offense to YouTube <laughs> or people. No, who talk I hear you. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. You're <laughs> you know what I mean? What, what the hell? When did it become like a bad thing to be smart? When did it become a bad thing to, to be knowledgeable right. and, and an expert in something? I don't understand. I, was it with Bush when they're like, oh, I want, I want someone I can have a beer with. Really? That's who you want to run the country? I know. No, I agree. I uh, look, I've always said that. I, I you know, I, I worked in D.C. I lived in D.C. I grew up in Maryland until I was 14. Like my family was in the bureaucracy. You know, I always tell people this, like you want policy wonks. You don't want the guy you want to have a beer with in the leadership position. You want the guy who gets off on reading legislation at three in the morning. You know, who's such a geek with all this stuff. Jimmy Carter, in my mind, was one of the greatest presidents we ever had. He was certainly one of the smartest. The guy was a nuclear physicist, like a baller, but he was a policy geek. You know, Bill Clinton was a smart guy, too. Bill Clinton was a combination of both because he was a player and, you know, obviously deeply flawed. He he knew how to he knew how to like work a crowd. Right. But and Obama was a smart guy like an Obama here. What I love about Obama so much is that he also understood the importance of the humanities. You remember when we were in that room, right, when he said, I want to thank everybody. He got up and gave a speech and he said, during my administration, the arts are going to matter. You're all welcome to come to the White House and play. And And I know. And and everybody did. We went there a lot. It was awesome. Exactly. And like. I remember did, yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't want to get on a tangent. I remember going back like because we were so down with him that day and taking selfies. I went back a year later to do the tree lighting like in his first term. And it was right after like some people had accidentally snuck into the White House at a party like they weren't. Oh, I remember that. Remember that? So Secret Service was pissed. So we go back down there. It's like me and Jeff and Joey or whatever. And we're like, hey, round two, about to get another selfie with Obama and stuff, you know, and Secret Service came by right before the show. And they're like, yeah, we're about to being the president. We want you to all go in this tent right now and just wait in this tent, you know, while we bring him on. Right. So we all go in the tent and they zipped it up. <laughs> they zipped us up in the damn tent. Like, Y'all ain't getting nowhere near my man. Like he's always down. But my point is after he did his day. Right. Where he got up early and went down to the Oval Office and dealt with all that comes across the desk of the commander in chief in a time where you had two wars and an economic collapse. He would go up to his residence at night and he would read a novel. He would listen to music and he would do it from artists and authors that weren't like him. Right. He would do it from somebody in another culture. He would read the poetry of an Asian American poet or an Asian poet. He would listen to Joni Mitchell and then, you know, Tupac like he would he would he would try to take in as much of the human experience as he could. And that's why it he sounds was, like he, he was always wanting to learn. Right. right. That's I think, what I, mean. I think our whole lives we should be doing that. We should always try to learn right. and become a better person. You know? Right. And learning has to do with humility and humility is something I'm getting to the point of why you said, you know, why do these people trust, you know, a Joe Rogan over, a, you know, a Dr. Fauci, like a genius, you know, from Regis High School through NIH, the guy's the best at what he does. Right. And uh, but you're going to listen to some bald guy who eats bugs, you know, on his <laughs> podcast, you know, because he makes dumb people feel smart. And that's what Trump did. And dumb people that think they're smart lack one major thing and that's humility because to really be intelligent reality reality too you know (laughs) but you know i i find that whenever i've learned the most in life is when i'm willing to swallow my pride and ask for help or, or admit out loud that i don't know something 
and somebody else might have a better take on this than me. And I should, I want to be the smartest guy in the room, but I know I'm not, but I'll be a better guy if I admit that and try to take in some new information, you know? And this brings us back to therapy and this idea of like knowing yourself, right? Right. I mean, if you know who you are, you won't have a problem knowing that you don't know that subject matter. You know, and you'll be like you said, if you have some humility, you'll be more open to listening to someone who does know better than you. It's okay that someone is smarter than you. You know, you might be good at one thing and someone's better at something else. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think therapy could be something that could help people get to that point, you know, where they don't feel defensive about, you know, everything and, and not knowing something and having to like what you said relate to someone who's eating bugs or whatever the fuck you know relate to someone and be like oh he's like me i'm going to trust him no right no absolutely you know and, and the only reason i have that sense right now is because you know i i'm in therapy right like I, and i'm in recovery which is a, tw- a 12-step meeting is group therapy right that's what it is you're all sharing in this like small environment about what you're going through and the whole theme of that is humility and to thine own self be true right so it's okay to not know everything and to ask for help that's how you get out of trouble there's an old adage in recovery where like a guy falls down in a hole And he's like, I'm stuck in this hole. And he sees somebody walking on the ground above. And then that guy jumps down in the hole with him. And the dude's like, what are you doing? Now we're both stuck. And he goes, no, I've been here before. I know how to get out of here. Right. That's, you know, that's humility is like you're holding up a red, red, white flag. You're surrendering because you want to live. You want (laughs) to say, I am powerless over this situation. Teach me how you got out of it. Right. You know, and for some reason, that sort of humility was a threat to, to sort of the media <clears throat> establishment on the right, to Fox News and all these guys that were sort of selling this idea of rugged individualism, right? You don't need the cops. You don't need a government. You just need a gun and no taxes and cheap gas and everything will be okay. No, nothing will be okay. You don't know anything. West Virginia cannot survive on its own. None of you Southern states could live without the money that we subsidize you with here in New York state. We pay your bills, Mississippi, Tate Reeves, all you assholes trying to take away rights from other people. We pay your freaking bills, you morons. And now you're just manipulating these people trying to grift more money out of them. Right. But it has to do with humility because if people see that they're part of a whole, then, then they go along with a society and and it's harder to pick money out of a society that somebody is like, no, I want to pay taxes. I like driving on roads without potholes. I like having Wi-Fi in my schools. I like having children educated about humanities and learning to teach and love other children that may look different or act different or identify different than them with the same love that I want my kids to have. Right. They don't want that because their whole game is separating people and this illusion of white supremacy, you know, which is I I feel like I feel like there's a there's a lack of unity in the United States. Right. I feel like it's it's a very me, 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 me. And and like Fox News and, and all these conspiracy theories and all these assholes are just pushing that. You know, they're pushing that even more. And everyone's like, instead of coming together, for example, in the time of a pandemic, instead of coming together as a community and helping each other and say, I'll wear my mask for you, you know, I'll do this for my neighbor who, you know, has a certain condition. No, it was all like, it's my fucking freedom. I'm not going to wear a mask. I mean, is it really that hard to fucking wear a mask? I mean, really? I mean, what the fuck is wrong with you? If you can't wear a mask when surgeons are wearing masks for hours on end, you know, operating on somebody and now all of a sudden you can't fucking breathe. Fuck you. I I agree. I do a bit, you know, in in my my stand up set about World War Two. Right. In World War Two, 20 year old women left their homes in the Midwest and went to work in shipyards on the coasts, places like Portland, Oregon. Women who'd never seen the ocean before were now working in 24 hour shifts wearing welding masks 
You know what I mean? Like Rosie the Riveter, yeah? Right, Rosie the Riveter. That's what I say. That's the punchline. I say now instead of Rosie the Riveter, we got Karen the QAnon kook. You know what I mean? It's like we sacrificed. People didn't use tin. They didn't use leather. They didn't use anything that could have been used in the fight to save the world from fact. And they blacked out their windows, right? Right, right. Can you imagine? Could you imagine if, if that was happening now with this it, crowd? Well, it, we wouldn't respond correctly. And now you're really getting into it because that's what Putin did. Putin saw that a d- divided country wouldn't be able to stand up to him as much. And that's what Trump was. Trump was like the Trojan horse for the oligarchs and Putin to sort of like destabilize the U.S. And we saw that in the COVID response. We lost a million Americans. We didn't have to have a million. We didn't people. have to. It could have been 300,000 if we were smart. If we shut this thing down hard like Italy did, like New mm-hmm. Zealand did, we'd have a completely different story today and we wouldn't be facing yet another flare up that I don't care how many of you guys have in your heads in the sand. It's coming, baby. You know, it's coming in a matter of weeks. You're going to be like, should I put on a mask? Yeah, you should put on a mask. You never should have taken it off. You know, exactly. You know what I was thinking, too, is like, you know, you hear these idiots saying, oh, well, if Trump were president, Putin never would have done the bullshit. If Trump were president, he would have pulled us out of NATO and then Putin would have done exactly what he's doing, except Trump would be spewing the same lies that Fox News is spewing, you know, which was would be Russian propaganda. Uh, the president of the United States would be saying Russian propaganda. You know it and I know it. That's exactly what would have been happening if he were president. A hundred percent. And Putin would be on the border of Poland right now, you know, and we'd probably be helping him. Yeah, you know, we'd probably be like, no, oh, we're, yeah. not, we're not sending the javelins, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he's going to give you this shit. Oh, Putin never would have done it if Trump were president. He's Trump. Fuck you. He's I Trump. know. No. He's- and and. Dude, Trump, I guarantee you he is right now, but Trump would have been so jealous of Zelensky that he would have been rage tweeting about him all day long. Look at that little guy. He's five, seven. What is, you know, like because he can't believe it. Right. He can't stand somebody else getting the attention, you know, and uh, and and here, let me just make this one fact. When, when Putin took over, right? So you had the Soviet Union collapses in 91. You got a drunk guy in there for a few years, Yeltsin. You know, he, he can't stand up anymore in public, essentially. So he picks Putin because he figured Putin would protect him and his family and whatever cash they had squirreled away, right? And the oligarch system was, was already set up. Putin bombs a couple apartment buildings in Moscow to give him the election, right? Because people wanted a strong guy who was going to stand up against it. So he murders his own people, much like he's doing in Ukraine right now, takes power, makes all the, uh, you know, Abramovich and all the other oligarchs sign field, sign off, literally sign a document pledging fealty to him. And then over the next 20 years, they take $1.9 trillion out of the former Soviet Union, right? Out of Russia, off of their the largest from their oil revenue and all this kind of stuff. And they spread it around the world. And the biggest place to launder that money, what became sort of a banking system was the 30 Trump towers that were set up around the globe by a guy named Felix Sater, who ran Bayrock, which was the cutout company for Mogolovich, Semyon Mogolovich, who's the boss of bosses, Russian mobster, Felix Sater was his employee and a direct link to Putin, right? So Trump literally participated all over the world in global money laundering for Russia for 20 years. It's no secret. You know, the reason he didn't get busted for it is because a lot of Americans made cash off it. You know, Deutsche Bank, all the law firms. It's kind of one of those dirty secrets that nobody wanted to talk about because guy out in Southampton doesn't feel like a criminal. He's just a lawyer for the shell company. He doesn't know who owns the company because that was the financial device that sort of Trump innovated to get away with it. Right. And Trump didn't invent any of this stuff. He just brought he he just scaled it up. You know, when you watch Shark Tank and they talk about scaling up a business, you know, so what happens is they would take a shell shell company. Right. And it would just be like, you know, caviar industries or whatever, right? And they would buy the condo and you wouldn't say who owned the shell company and you didn't have to report who owned the shell company. So you could just show up at a Trump property and say, I have an LLC and I'd like to buy five condos. Here's a hundred million dollars. And they'd say, here's your keys. 
right? right? And any law enforcement agency that wanted to say, hey, who owns the 14th floor of the Trump Tower building in Azerbaijan? That looks a little sketchy that somebody would pay $100 million to live in a building that was built in the middle of an industrial dump, you know? And they'd say, well, you can't look it up. It, it's, you know, it's listed under Soft Shell Crabs Inc. or whatever <laughs> stupid I'm making up seafood, right? right, right, right. right? But, uh, you know, you couldn't see who owned it and who owned it were these Russian oligarchs, these Russian mobsters that were ripping off the country. So Trump is Putin in many ways, you know, and I've already told people about how Mark Burnett first wanted to do a show in Russia. And they said, no, do it on our boy, Donald Trump. So network TV helped rehab Trump's image and get him to the point that he became, you know, the leader of the Republican Party, the installed president of the United States. And, and now we're at where we're at now, where you get kids like Madison Cawthorn and stuff who called Zelensky a thug this week, who's called the Ukrainian government evil, right? These guys that are proxies for Russians, like that Cawthorn kid is a Russian agent. He, I, don't, I don't know if he knows it. I don't know what's wrong with him. I know there's something really wrong with that dude. How do these people get into those positions is what I don't understand. Why isn't there some sort of fucking test that they have to take before they can even run? You know right. what I mean? Yeah, that kid. Any was, jackass can like be in charge of, of lawmaking and stopping laws and stuff. You know, I, I don't. How is that possible? What other job in the world allows you to fucking do that other than getting a job from like your family? Or right. Something? He'd worked at Chick-fil-A. Cat. That's, that's he, where he belongs. I know. No, he was 24 years old. I mean, really, that's where he belongs. Give me a fucking break. I agree. He was 24 years old. Mark Meadows is the one who got him the job, just so you know. Mark Meadows was the chief of staff for Trump and the last chief of staff in the White House and imminently corrupt. Mark Meadows is oh, a fucking guy. criminal. Right. He let Trump go into the debate knowing he was COVID positive and standing 10 feet away from Biden. And that Biden. was, and then the whole family right. refused to put their masks on. And they, they, and they let them. I don't understand why they weren't just fucking kicked out right there and then. I don't I, understand. I agree. And, and, the, and why is everyone so scared of like, you know, that's, uh -huh. I don't understand. What are well, you fucking scared of? That's the big question. What are people scared of? They're scared of the truth and they're scared of giving up their comfortable ways of life. Because if you turn over too many rocks, you know, you don't know what you might find. And I think a lot of America and certainly a lot of the financial side of New York society, they knew who Trump was forever. They just didn't want to. Yeah make it people on the apprentice there's nobody who worked on the apprentice who would let trump watch their 13 year old daughter trust me <laughs> you know somebody would be like hey you want trump to babysit you know, <laughs> your kid and anybody would be like oh hell no i don't even want him to know their name you know but like you know people don't want to question it and the other thing that happens is, is you know Madison Cawthorn, Lauren Bulbert, MTG, these guys were all chaos agents. They were all handpicked probably by the Russians or whoever their cutout was, Roger Stone, Bannon, mm -hmm. one of these guys. Mm -hmm. and, and no one can pay attention because there's so many little things that are going on at once. Nobody pays attention to the 24-year-old kid. He was 24 when he got elected. He, he had dropped out of college after one semester. His college classmates, 150 of them, signed a letter, said this guy's a sexual predator, right? And there was only 300 people in his college. So when half the school says you're a rapist, you're probably a rapist, right? <laughs> like, so, you know, but he, he said the right thing to the dumbasses in North Carolina. And they're not all dumbasses, but the people that would show up to, to see a 24-year-old neo-Nazi idiot who'd visited Hitler's vacation home and called it a bucket list item, who sued his best friend who saved him from a fiery crash and then sued his buddy for 30 million and said Jesus pulled him out of the flames. You know, it, you know in a state that half of their industry is CAFOs, you know, CAFOs are the big pig farms and stuff that ruin the environment where they just torture these animals all day. Yes. You know what I mean? So the industry is already compromised and all they have left is the iconography of this movement, the waving the flags, the guns, you know, the, the toxic. So let that shit go. I mean, let that shit go. People. I know. Grow up. I Seriously, agree. Grow up. If how's America ever going to so-called be great if you don't let go of the fucking past from like 200 or more years ago, let that shit go, people. Really. You heard it from Kat, folks. Let it go. Like like the song in Frozen. 
Did, did you <laughs> see that picture of the little girl singing the song in the subway? No. Oh my God. There's this little girl who sings Let It Go from Frozen in the early days of the, uh, of the invasion, the early days, two weeks ago, you know, but it's very touching. You should watch it sometime. She was a little pitchy between you and I. Yeah. That's <laughs> Maybe I did hear it. Maybe I, because I think I heard it in the background of the TV and David yeah. added on and I'm like, what is this? What is this? Exactly. <laughs> That's a no from me, dog. <laughs> You're not going to Hollywood. I'm not turning my chair around. Oh my God. I'm going to hell for that joke, folks. But know, no. Yeah. Hey, look, we're almost out of time here. But you know, you guys get it. We could talk all day. And I know you're feeling the same way. It's maddening what's going on out there. But you know, there's a there's a lot more of us that are on the side of justice, you know, that are on the side of truth, that are trying to do something with our time, like my friend Kat here. You know, she's gonna use her skills in service of, of educating others and, and shining a light on some of the darker things that have come out of the last few years. And, you know, it's I, I, I'm thinking of Michael Moore right now, who sometimes, you know, obviously gets criticized. He, he's got a big mouth. But uh, I used to do this show called The Document. It was called the Critics' Choice Award Documentary Awards or whatever. It's like the Oscars for documentaries. I love documentaries. And we did it in Brooklyn at uh, BAM. We would do it at BAM every year. And uh, Michael Moore came and spoke a few years ago. And he said, look, if you're making a documentary, you know, about like something other than what's going on right now, that Trump and all this fascism and the pandemic, then stop what you're doing and put your talents to, to service for this, you know, in service of the truth. Cause that other stuff will be there when this is over. You know, I'd rather do a podcast on guitar players and like cool amps, you know, and cool gear or just funny stuff. But I know you know what? I got to give more of a nutritious meal to my listeners. You know, I got to use whatever platform and skills I have in service of the truth, because there's nothing on the other side of this if we don't win this battle. And we can see. I, I think another another thing is, is that, you know, you said that we're the majority, those of us who, you know, we're the majority. But it seems like they're the majority because they're the fucking loudest. Yeah, there's, we need to be more loud. That's all it really is. I mean, we really need to show up, be more loud. Be more outspoken and fucking get out and vote and help other people vote too. One of the things I actually wanted to do this year was to go to some of these counties where they're removing their polls, you know, where they're like there's somewhere in Georgia where it was was it like there's only one polling place yeah, all over. I'm like, Texas. I'll drive down there and bring these people to so that they can vote because that's bullshit, you know? And I think if if us, the majority, can get together. You know, we have more power. We just need to show it. You know, yeah. we can help fucking change this. I hope. I mean, or, we're, or else we're screwed. Yeah, we're definitely screwed, you know, and we're already kind of screwed, right? We're already feeling pain we don't want to feel. We've already seen things in the last two weeks that are going to haunt us for the rest of our days. And we're the observers. You know, we're sitting over here more or less in comfort watching, you know, hell on earth every day. And yeah, we got to get involved. You know, you mentioned Georgia. They're doing that in Texas. They're doing it in Tennessee. They're doing it all over the country. They're disenfranchising black voters and, and you know, immigrant voters. They lied about the census. That just came out recently, too, that Wilbur Ross had lied. And everyone knew Wilbur Ross was lying. And Wilbur Ross was a billionaire. What the hell was... As, here's another thing, and we'll, we'll stop because we're almost, I think, at an hour. But like, don't trust billionaires that want to become president. Okay. Right. If I'm a billionaire cat, I'm not running for president. I'm never working again. I'm giving away $900 million. The day you give me the billion dollars, I'm giving that away to like children, education, animal rights, whatever, you know, and then I'm taking a hundred million dollars. I'm getting myself a little Island in the Caribbean, you know, can I come visit? Yeah, you can come visit. You and David okay. can come down. I'll have a bungalow for you, you know, yeah. and then I'm just getting my freak on. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm wearing a loincloth. I'm sitting on the beach every day with my guitar. I got somebody on each foot massaging it. Nothing sexual. I like foot massages. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I want to relax. No, but, you know, just think of all the good you could do with that money. So anybody who has amassed that much wealth and thinks that they want to influence policy, be very wary of, yeah. very wary of, because you can do so much good with that money. You don't need politics. Leave politics for the people that 
that are okay with not making a lot of money in life and, and understand or, or the people who are like, you know, who went to school for that. You right, know, exactly. You better yet. Study that, you right. know, people who put in a lot of time and hours and give a shit about the community. Let them fucking deal with government. Well said. Even better. Exactly. Because it's a skill. It's a specific thing. And, and it's like you said, that earlier point was so good. Like, why don't you want a politician, right? You don't, you don't go to a plumber for heart surgery. If I, if I got, if somebody drops a bomb in my backyard and I got to defuse it, I, I'm going to get a bomb defuser. I'm not going to be like, I've never done this before, but Joe Rogan's got a podcast <laughs> where he talks about what wire to clip. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's just no, but for some reason, you know, with health and a pandemic, you're going to think you're smarter than the smart guys. You know, it's just, you know, it, it's a trick. It's an illusion. It's that cult thing. You know, you're right. right about that. It's the cult. Because it it really cults work on human interest, right? It's like jujitsu. Any kind of con man is basically using your own desires and instincts against mm. you. You know what I mean? That's how a guy who's really masterful at this stuff knows how to get a get over on it's a people. good way to look at that. Yeah. Actually. Because you make them do all the heavy lifting psychologically. Mm -hmm. You can see where they want to go. You just help them, you know, pick that one shell that you know doesn't have the peanut underneath it, but they're going to go for every time because it looks like the shell that they're comfortable with. And guys that are good can read up somebody, you know, like comedians can read a room. You know, I can tell like right away what table is going to hate me. <laughs> you know, when I do my sets, not that anybody hates me, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you sometimes get a table. You're like, how did they get here? Like, <laughs> like I had a walk up, you know, like 12 people came to see me in Boston, you know, more than 12 people were at the show, but there was a table of 12 right in the front. And I was like, who are these people? Like, I just knew they weren't my fans, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I could tell when I did the show, like they enjoyed it, but they kind of like sat there like, oh my God, like, what is this guy? <laughs> I like Trump. I didn't know that, hey. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's crazy. But my point is you can kind of tell, you know, and people are into branding themselves, right? That's the other part of this is people want to be a part of a tribe. And what Trump sold them is MAGAism as a tribal identity. I got a big flag. I don't wear a mask. I got a gun. Right. You know, I listen to Lee Greenwood, like, you know, people have a desire to belong to something, but why not just try to belong to the human race and the kind-hearted people that are trying to make it better? And Kat, I can't think of somebody who fits that bill more than you, my friend. So thank That's you for true. coming back on the show. Let the people know where to find you. I don't know. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, if you want to stalk Kat. I don't want them finding me. <laughs> let them know what you straight you. No, it means like, you know, your website, like on Twitter. Oh, oh. Just catdelbuono.com. <laughs> okay. And they, they have to figure well, out how to spell my that's name. It. I'm not spelling it. I'm tired of fucking spelling my name. You have right. to figure that out. Yeah, so. that's what I mean. That's how they find it. Or on Instagram, catdelbuono.com. Exactly. Or on Instagram. Cat, Cat <laughs> what do you mean? Where to find me? Let them know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's hilarious. And you can find me, <laughs> folks. Me. Exactly. You can find me at noelcastler.com and you can find me at City Winery in New York City on June 7th and City Winery Loft in Philadelphia on June 8th. The Philadelphia tickets are on sale. I think the uh, New York City tickets go on sale this week. I'll announce it on Twitter, but come out and see me live. It's a lot of fun. You're going to be in an audience with a bunch of other like-minded people. I want to go. Yeah, you should. We, you know, all my shows are vax card and masks and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, and I'm not doing this to make anybody sick and I don't go out otherwise, you know, I, I'm, I'm quarantined all the time, except for when I'm on stage and, uh, but it's a good time. So come on out. It was my birthday yesterday. I hope the show sounds good. These are my, uh, new headphones that my mom got me, gifted me nice. for my birthday. They sound incredible. Nice Sony's. Nice. And, uh, you know, I had a good birthday. I turned 51. I sat out by the pond and watched the, the turtles. Ah, look at that. Happy birthday. This is a very special balloon. It comes, it's from, it's from pre-COVID times. Nice. That's, from, it's, it lasted this whole time. It's been on a ton of Zooms, this birthday balloon. It's from the before times, but you know what, Kat? That was the first <laughs> variant that the guy blew up that balloon with. And <laughs> when it's finally over it, you're going to pop that thing. Oh my God. <laughs> and release it again. So on that note, folks, thanks for listening. This is episode 55. Thank you, Kat, for coming back on. It's a lot of fun of to talk to you. 
You guys be well out there. Be safe. Take care of each other. Spring is just around the corner. It's hitting you. It's hitting you probably where you live this week. So enjoy it. Get some sun on your face and we'll see you next week. Peace. Ciao.